You are listening to the IRL Sibs podcast. I'm the co-host, Ailani, along with my brother, Jalen. He's not here in this episode, though. Today, I interviewed my violin teacher on how she has coped with teaching violin through a screen during COVID-19. And a quick disclaimer, while listening to this episode, you might notice some audio changes. And that is because some of the questions I asked needed to be rewarded to be understood better. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. My name is Heather Peterson. I'm the owner of Miss Heather's Violin Studio in Lincoln, Nebraska. I started playing the violin, I believe I was nine. My earliest memory of that was I, I remember sitting in class and I think it was the fourth grade and we had a teacher that came in and introduced all the instruments to our class for the string family. And uh, then she had us raise our hands if we were interested. And when she got to me, she asked me, which instrument did you want to play? And I said, the little one. Uh, I didn't know what it was called, but I knew I liked the little one. And so she said violin. And I said, I think so. So that was the start of me playing the violin. And I believe where I grew up, we started playing in school in the fifth grade. That was Uh, in Minnesota. Uh, I didn't get private violin lessons until I was a little bit older. We had to learn through the school, or I had to learn through the public school system because my mom and dad couldn't afford lessons. So it wasn't until I was in middle school and we had moved to California Out there, I had a teacher who saw my potential and uh, wanted to keep me moving forward in my violin learning because the school district I went to in California wasn't the best and the orchestra was not very good at all. So she offered to give free lessons after school. And if I can remember, I think it was twice a week after school. She was the one that got me to fall in love with the violin. I liked it, but then with her, I learned to love it. And then we moved back to Minnesota and it wasn't until I was 16 and I got a job at McDonald's that I paid for my own lessons. And I learned from a a lady named Mary King Osterfield and she used to be a player with the Royal Academy of Music and she spoke with an Irish accent and she taught and played till she was about 100 and then she passed away. She was incredible. My first teacher was Mrs. Grizel, so she's worth mentioning. And then I studied for a bit in college. Wow. So how did you start teaching violin? Well, um, at the time I started teaching, I had no inclination to be a private violin teacher. I, I worked for Menards as a plumbing manager, and then eventually I switched jobs and I ended up working as a job coach for people with developmental disabilities. And I learned a lot from those jobs, but it was while I was at the, the job coaching position that a coworker, uh, she learned I played the violin and she asked if I could teach her daughter. And I says, why? Well, I, I don't know anything about teaching violin. She says, well, you know something about the violin. She doesn't. Uh, so I'm willing to pay you name your price. And I said, well, let me think about it. And I thought about it for a week and I said, okay, I'll, I'll teach your daughter. So it went from her and then I took on another one and then I um, 
realized, wow, I really do love teaching violin. It's a lot of fun. And so I started adding on more and more students and my studio over time ended up growing to 65 students. Um, I would say that this is my calling. I love playing the violin, but I love teaching the violin. I love introducing ideas and having my students understand deeply what they're playing. It's, it's just a lot of fun for me to see students learn. And then after a couple of years of teaching violin, I added teaching viola. So I, I teach violin and viola now, and I've been teaching since the year 2000. Wow, that's so awesome. What is your most memorable experience with teaching violin? Uh, I have a lot of memorable experiences. The stories are in my students. I get the front row seat to a lot of things. Um, I, I learn about students like for you, for example, you're an incredible ice skater. Um, I've had hockey players in my studio. I have dancers and actors and singers, you know, just learning about my students and their personalities is very memorable and rewarding to me, connecting with people. Also being able to explain something that maybe five teachers before me haven't been able to have that student understand. And I get to be the one that gets to explain it in a way that's understood. And they're like, oh, that's all it is. So I say, yeah, that's all it is. <laughs> so those, those are my memorable experiences. I just love learning about the people and uh, watching them learn about music too. That's awesome. That warms my heart. So you are in some groups that are like orchestras. Can you tell me more about that? Sure. I play in the Lincoln Civic Orchestra. We meet during the school year, although with COVID-19, we're at a pause. Um, we usually play during the school year and have three concerts a year. We are a volunteer uh, mu musician organization. Most of us come from many, well, all of us come from different walks of life. Uh, we have doctors and lawyers and nurses and teachers, LPS teachers, um, homeschool teachers. We have retired people. We have students, uh, college and high school students, um, other private teachers, laboratory people, um, anybody who plays an instrument who wants to volunteer and play for this orchestra they're welcome to join us. Um, it, it, especially strings players, we're always looking for string players, but um, it's just a volunteer organization. We get together once a week during the school year, have fun, dig in music. We laugh a lot. Um, it's, uh, it's a nice group for us to be able to play actively in while we're pursuing other areas of our lives. Um, another musical group that I have been playing in for, I think I've done eight shows. I lost count. It could be nine shows. I don't remember. But I play for the Pinewood Bowl Pit Orchestra. And that's also another community volunteer group. And um, every summer for two weeks, we put on a show. And I get to be a violinist in that pit. And a lot of us same people keep coming back. And uh, we love it, even though it's really hot and humid and bugs fall on us 
sometimes big bugs. I had one call on my violin that was a gigantic stag beetle and wow. it was so ugly and it freaked me out and they had to turn my microphone down to the audience because they could hear it crawling on my bridge and I had to get it detached and yeah, and so that was uh, that was last summer. We had stag beetles falling on us. There have been snakes that have fallen from the catwalks. Um, always frogs. We're always rescuing frogs from the pit. So, um, but you know, it's just playing for a show like that is so much fun because you have these professional actors on stage, and we are all volunteers. Uh, but these professional actors that put on this amazing show in the heat and humidity. And um, to hear the audience any given night, I could be playing be for between 1,000 people and maybe 1,500 people. Um, hearing the audience, uh, their laughter spilling down into the pit, um, it, it's so much fun and rewarding, even though it's not the most ideal conditions to play in. Wow, I totally did not know that. <laughs> So besides that orchestra, you do run your own group through your studio. I would love to know how you got started and why you got started because, you know, it's definitely unique and it's awesome. Well, um, a while ago, uh, my studio is always being asked for students to play for this, that, or the other thing. It's usually for nonprofits and out in the community. And... Um, over time, my studio was being invited to have students play for the teammates mentoring recognition dinner and also for the uh, the Elks Lodge uh, Christmas children's party. They've been doing that for, I think, 111 years in a row. And they're, they're now at the Pinnacle Bank Arena. And so these are big venues where the dinner would have about 1,000 people or more attending it. Um, and then the uh, children's Christmas party would have about 4,000 people wa walking by as Apollo is, or I'm sorry, as students were performing. And um, I noticed that with these big venues, the students couldn't be heard. And I thought, well, gosh, it'd be nice to be able to still serve the community, but in a way that the students can be heard and showcased a little bit better. So I put together a, uh, a small ensemble of 16 students and they're put into four, four parts. So it'll be like quartet music that's been arranged for three violin and one viola section. And um, they, they meet in my driveway or in my house uh, uh, in the wintertime on a Sunday afternoon and we rehearse and then in in the Christmas season and in the spring, they perform between three and five times. And it's a lot of fun, not just for the community to hear them, but it gives the playing experience, ensemble experience. Uh, they're not conducted, so they learn to listen across the group to each other and learn how to be musicians together. Um, they also, uh, get letter points for letterman jackets when they're in high school. They um, also get volunteer hours if they need volunteer hours and they get camaraderie. So they get to meet other musicians from across the city. And what was awesome one year was when during lessons, these students, they, they were coming in saying, guess who I saw at a contest? Well, I don't know. Well, they were seeing other members of Apollo and they were saying hi to each other. And normally my students don't get to see each other 
but they got to see each other and knew each other and they've developed friendships through Apollo. Um, the members of Apollo are my, my top players in my studio and uh, they have to meet the criteria of not only playing well and reading music well because we do things at a fast pace, but also a maturity level. I look for people who are gonna get along with others and uh, people who bring positivity to the group. Um, so that's going to be important because I want this to be fun for people and I don't want the members to be upset with each other. So I'm very picky about who gets in and that they present themselves in a professional way when they're in public, which that's something that I've been getting a lot of positive feedback on are these kids and how they present themselves in public. Um, the age range in the group is anywhere from middle school through college. So it's a wide range of ages. I think it's amazing that different age groups are building community and getting to know each other through Apollo. Okay, so we're just going to jump straight right in. The COVID pandemic is happening. It's all over the news. What is your first initial thoughts? Well, um, it, it was interesting because it was really confusing in the beginning. We knew it was coming but we didn't know how bad it was going to be and so uh we were first hearing during spring break crowds no bigger than 500 people then it became crowds no bigger than 100 people then no more than 50 people and then by the end of the week no more than 10 people the whole time i'm sitting in my studio and of course i was on break and i'm like well, I think I can still teach privately because it's less than 10 people. And so I was just trying to figure out, like, what am I going to do as a private teacher? Because this was something that private teachers around the world hadn't been faced with before. And then I, and I was putting some emails out saying, well, I can still teach if you want to come. I'm going to sanitize. I'm going to wipe things down. And then I started getting emails from parents saying, hey, we've got immune compromised people in our household we're we're not going to be able to do in-person lessons for a while and i said okay but then i had one dad that said um well if you're willing to do online lessons then we will definitely be interested in that i was like oh online lessons i've heard of some other teachers dabbling in online lessons but i thought gosh can i pull that off so i thought okay i'm gonna have to do this otherwise it's it's going to be sad if I can't continue lessons. Not it's it's not from the money point of view, like earning an income. It was more students not being able to have that one-on-one -on -one instruction. So I scrambled and I found a webcam and I had to special order it because at that point Best Buy was all sold out and they're being sold out all over. And so I got a webcam and uh, got lessons set up and decided to make that switch to having all of my lessons online. I also had to figure out how people were gonna pay me because I wouldn't see them in person. I also had to figure out how I'm gonna get materials to my students. Now, some students don't have uh, printers, so um, some people I can send things off and they can print it off and scan things back like the test and get them back to me. But um, I ended up, ordering from Amazon a nylon filing system by my front door and I screwed it into my siding. And so uh, students who don't have printers can pick stuff up and drop stuff off and we don't have to have contact with each other. So uh, just learning how to do 
business in a different way was quite the challenge. You know, it's interesting because I also have learned that because of COVID, uh, not only did the schools close down, but with orchestra and band and choir, they don't have instrumental and singing time through school. It's theory and watching videos, and they can't really do ensemble playing. So I learned pretty quickly that um, the students I was teaching was getting their playing time through the studio, which is like the bonus to having private lessons. Yay, they can still play and still grow on their instruments where that wasn't necessarily the case for students who didn't have private lessons. So the ones that are able to do this are very much lucky that they can do online lessons, very much lucky. So just learning how to adapt that way, it, it was challenging, but um, we all made it work around the world. We, all of us private teachers figured it out. So we yeah. had to do it fast. We had one or two weeks to figure it out. So um, it happened fast. It did, yeah. So I really want to know, what are some pros and cons of online teaching? Because I'm sure there's some. There's a lot. Online teaching has taught me to be more verbal. I'm already a verbal person, but I had to be more verbal. I couldn't just point and say, fix that, because they didn't know what I was pointing at. <laughs> my hand was off screen. So I had to use my words. And, and normally I can say, I can just do this to say straighten your wrist and students will see that and do that. But they, most of them can't see that through the cameras and uh, their devices that they're on. So I, I've had to learn to speak up more and say, hey, straighten your wrist. And, and so, you know, it's just being more verbal. That's a challenge, but the pro, there, there's a big pro, I think, because there's less going on in students' lives. They're practicing more. Not everyone, but most most people are practicing more because they're bored. They're so bored. So there was that. Learning that because I can go online, I can now teach in a snowstorm. I can still teach if a parent is too sick to get their student here, but the student is healthy enough to have a, a lesson. So I could still teach through Skype if I wanted to. I had to figure out which way to go. Um, for some reason, it was difficult to hear higher strings on Zoom and, and Facebook. I was having issues uh, through the Facebook messaging. Um, my picture would black out after about five minutes. And so I learned that what was most compatible for my studio was Skype. And so that was my preferred uh, way to go. And I've been very happy with Skype and their message boards. I'm not technology savvy at all. So I also had to learn how to do lighting uh, back. Like if there's a window behind somebody, it's harder to see them. So learning about that camera angles, uh, positioning of the students so I can see them in their best position. Um, other challenges, like I mentioned before, trying to get the people without printers to get things back and forth, um, learning how to set up payment, uh, electronic payment, stuff like that. So, right. you know, there, there's going to be pros and cons in anything. And I think that my studio has definitely grown from this. Um, but I miss teaching in person. It's so much better in person. <laughs> a lot better in person. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, you have really gained some tech skills, I feel like. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> so um, 
yeah so when do you plan on opening your studio like do you have a an idea i know this like no one really knows when this will end but what was your initial idea or right now what's your idea it's hard to say i i look forward to the day that i can open my studio um i miss it so much i miss the human interaction so much um online is so two-dimensional and just being able to communicate easier is what I miss a lot. It, it's going to depend. I'm, I'm a watcher. I like to watch and see what's happening. I'm watching the news. I'm watching, watching the soft opening right now of what's happening in our city. I decided to hold off a little bit longer uh, with um, opening up my studio to in-person lessons. I have one student that I'm going to have to bring in um, in person first, uh, just because uh, the technology isn't quite working out very well where she's at. So I'm trying to figure out when's the best time to bring her back in person. And of course, we'll have uh, precautions in place. Can't use hand sanitizer because that will take the varnish off of an instrument. It's not good for the instrument. So um, making sure that students wash their hands thoroughly at the kitchen sink before they unpack their instruments face mask, things like that. So I'm going to wait and see what happens, see what what happens with the city with the soft opening, see how many more people are going to get sick. And then if it looks like things are pretty stable, I'll probably bring back a few at a time because I have to sanitize in between students and not have people cross each other's paths as they're coming and going. And definitely only one person's allowed in at a time. I can't have families come in in the beginning. So there's going to be a game plan, plan in place. I just need to figure it out, just like I had to figure out how to get online. <laughs> so. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any advice or tips for people who are, like, struggling? Because it seems like, I don't know, there's a lot of people who definitely are struggling with, like, practicing their instrument or just getting stuff done in general. Yeah, it is tough. Uh, the biggest advice I have is keep your instrument out if you can. Uh, keep the shoulder rest on. Have your music ready to go. Uh, keep it out of the case on a sturdy location, like a solid table or a desk or a dresser. Have the instrument ready to go because the hardest part about practicing is unpacking the instrument. It's so tough to get motivated, especially with the environment that we in where we can't go anywhere or do much of anything. And so setting that same time every single day to get your instrument and practice it, having a regular schedule definitely helps with that. You know, I, I think I see a lot of people struggle emotionally right now. I think a lot of people are more sad or down than before. It's so tough. Uh, humans are very social creatures, and we like to interact with people. We, we like to be away from our homes and come back to our homes. When we're at home all the time, it is tough. And when we're surrounded by the same people day after day, it is tough. So I always make a point to say, how are you? How was your week? It's important to even though you can't see each other in person, if you're able to talk to somebody on the phone or through Skype or Zoom or whatever, just connecting with people and have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. that's so the important. best thing, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, you mentioned that you wanted to know more about my volunteer work. Yes, I do. <laughs> do you, do you yeah. wanna hear about that? <laughs> 
you volunteering that you do? Okay, so there's some volunteering that I do in the community. I feel it's important to help people out as much as you can. And so um, I work with the, or I volunteer as a paid teacher, but I do volunteer work on the side with it for the music outreach program. And the music outreach program is fantastic because it pays for the private lessons for students. And it's not just violin and viola, but also piano and flute and guitar and voice. Uh, whatever we have for teachers, that's what we can offer for private lessons. Um, and then when students don't have instruments, we can either loan them an instrument or rent an instrument for them. And then upon three years in the program, uh, with us supplying an instrument to them, they get to keep their instrument as a gift. So that's one one way that I volunteer. I really believe in this program and I wish it was around when I was a kid. I would have started private lessons a lot sooner yeah. had I had that available to me. Um, another way would be um, the Lincoln Teammates Mentoring Program. I am a mentor and I have been mentoring, I think between eight or nine years, I can't remember quite exactly. And I've had, I think about six teammates in that time. And I love this program it was started by Tom Osborne and they've learned that just by an adult who's trusted, um, who's passed background checks, they come in and they're matched with a, a mentee. And by spending one hour a week, uh, just visiting that helped improve graduation rates in Lincoln mm -hmm. and so this program has expanded beyond Lincoln it's also in Omaha and it's in many other states um, I know in Lincoln there's about 700 kids still waiting to be matched uh, but I've enjoyed it I think I have really grown as a person by meeting these people young people in my life and I'm still in touch with them as adults so uh, there's there's that organization I volunteer for. A new one that I joined is called Two Strings of Lincoln. And we make masks for the medical community for COVID-19. Um, it could be hospitals or nursing homes or fire departments, uh, Matt Tabot Kitchen, the People City Mission, uh, Native American reservations. Wherever we get the calls from, we supply masks for. And we have given away thousands upon thousands of masks. I personally have made over 500. I don't know what my count is right now, but it's over 500. And um, we also make ear savers for nurses for their masks so that their ears don't hurt. Um, surgical caps, I made my first five surgical caps this weekend. So uh, that's, it was for a dental clinic, a dental office uh, to keep their hair out of their face as they're working on patients. So, uh, yeah, it's just uh, a fun group. There's over 200, about 215, 215 of us are in this group and we're sewers. Um, but there's also people who wash and iron. There's people who make deliveries, uh, picking up supplies, uh, dropping off kits for people who can't drive. We have financial donors for this and we have never met each other. We're all strangers to each other. And it started in my neighborhood. I'm one of the first people that joined in. The, I think I joined the second day that it was started. Um, and it's grown to the 215 people. But we don't know each other, but we all have one common cause, and that's to help people who need help during COVID-19. So that's that group that I belong to. That is so awesome. That just warms my heart. Thanks. Wow. <laughs> So, um, closing 
are some of your hobbies that you like to do? Because I definitely know you have some and they're really <laughs> Well, I do love playing the violin. That's definitely one of my yeah. hobbies. Um, one day I, I hope to learn how to play the hardanger fiddle. I have a hardanger fiddle that an exchange student had given me as a thank you for hosting her. We've, we've hosted exchange students and um, we call five of them our family, which is just wonderful. Um, but as far as hobbies go, I love to sew. I'm always creating things. I like to keep my hands busy. So if I'm sitting in front of the television, I am stitching something. Um, it could be a cross stitch. It could be crocheting. Uh, it could be some kind of a Christmas kit. I do crochet snowflake ornaments for my students and they seem to really appreciate them. Um, but I also love to garden and not just vegetable gardening. Uh, and I, I do love vegetable gardening. I raise my own baby food for when my children when they were babies. They're teenagers now, but I believe because I made their baby food that they love vegetables to this day. Um, but I also do native plant gardening. I am creating a cottage garden in my backyard, and it, it's a work in progress. We're several years into this. But uh, cottage garden using American native plants. And the reason why I chose to go that route is because our pollinators are suffering. They don't have a lot of food source and plants that come from other countries did not grow with the insects. Uh, they didn't evolve with the, the insects. And so we have seen a drop in insect population, bumblebees, butterflies. But because of that, that's the bottom of the food chain. Uh, songbirds numbers are dropping too. And so um, I felt it was important to create this beautiful garden in my backyard using these native plants. And I tell you what, that first year I saw more insects than ever before. And by year number three, I had over a dozen different types of native bees in my yard. I have three, at least three different pollinating wasps, dragonflies like crazy. We've had ducks visit our yard. Um, different kinds of butterflies. We used to watch the tiger swallowtail butterflies flit into our backyard and then see nothing and then fly away. But now they come in and they stay and they eat and they, they leave eggs behind. Um, you know, it's important to have those host plants and nectar plants for these insects. And uh, it, it's just awesome. My daughter learned at the age of nine the difference between a male and a female monarch butterfly. And you know, just seeing my children learn about nature in our own backyard has been so rewarding. So, yeah. So those are my hobbies. <laughs> That's awesome. I do remember coming to lessons and you'd show me these monarch eggs or caterpillars, yeah. I think. And it was just so fun and yeah. so awesome. So that's so great. Uh, thank you so much for doing this interview. Um, I know it's like this is our second run and <laughs> technology, but yeah, yeah. thank you. Uh, I really appreciate it. And thank yeah. you for interviewing me. It, it's it's a pleasure. It really is. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> <laughs>
Here is some audio of Heather playing with her orchestra, the Lincoln Civic Orchestra, and they are playing the Phantom of the Opera melody. Thanks for listening to this episode of IRL Sibs. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you can. And with that, thanks for watching. I mean listening. Bye!